0: Hey, my name is Mark. I'm the Connections pastor here at Grace. I just want to thank you for being here today. Uh, Anybody else sad that the Atlanta Hawks lost? No? Just me? No one cares? All right, cool. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, Man, thank you so much for being here today. We are uh, in a series in Romans, uh, continuing Romans chapter 2. And uh, Clint last week was sharing in chapter 2, where Paul is sort of leveling the playing field a bit uh, we have been talking a lot about God's wrath and God's judgment. It's been pretty heavy, right? Uh, but it's been, it's been great. And so last week we, we talked about this idea that uh, the Jewish people, these were people that, that had the law of Moses. They had the special revelation from God. They thought they were exempt from God's judgment. And that, that really wasn't the case. And so Paul in chapter 2 starts to tell them, hey, you are without, you're without excuse Right, And so we've been leaning into uh, our depravity, we've been leaning into our brokenness and our sin before God, and this idea that one day we will all stand before God and be judged by what we have done. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done uh, with his word in your life? And so today we're going to be uh, wrapping up chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be in verse 12 uh, through 16. Um, But let me back up just a little bit. Verse 11, last week, Paul ended uh, this section with these words. He said, For there is no favoritism with God. There is no favoritism with God. Now, this would shock the Jewish readers, right? Again, because they had the law, they, they thought they were, well, they were chosen people, right? We've got the in with God. And Paul's saying, Hey, there's no favoritism when it comes to judgment day. They thought they deserved special treatment. Paul's saying that's not the case. So uh, quick story. Uh, When I was uh, from about 6 to 25, uh, I played tennis. Any tennis fans in here? All right, two of you. Very cool. I don't feel as judged now. That's that's fine. I couldn't play football for obvious reasons. I'm just tall and lanky, so I'd get hurt. So I chose tennis. Um, Played a lot. Played hours and hours a day. Um, played in high school, played in the USCA League, lots of tournaments, that sort of thing. And I can remember this one tournament. I show up and uh, I've got the Roger Federer look going, you know, like the headband, the, the white tennies. I've got three tennis rackets, three or four tennis rackets. I don't know. The towel, the whole deal. Like I was ready. I had my training. Like I was amped and fired up. This guy comes out, my opponent, and he's got one tennis racket and a water bottle. And I think a towel. And I'm like, this guy. Like, I have got this guy destroyed already. I was judging him simply by what he walked out with, simply by his appearance. And uh, I won. That's not true. I got whacked 6 0, 6 1, 6 2. I still remember the score. And I'm like, what just happened? Right? And so here I'm thinking, man, I, I was ready. I had everything that I needed. I was special. I had all the equipment man and I fell short. He was playing this lob game that I just, I still hate him for. I'm still seeking uh, repentance from the Lord on that one. But uh, my point is, again, that we, uh, that we, we, we're not really special, guys. Like, we all fall short. And this is going to be a common theme throughout today uh, and the next few weeks as Paul is building the case uh, for the goodness and sweetness of, of the gospel. And so we've got We've got Jews in the story here, again, who are saying, man, I've got got special treatment, I've got the law. We've got Gentiles saying, hey, we're we're moral people, we're good people. Like, is God's judgment wrath? Aren't we we good to go? Here's the thing, is that God can't tolerate sin, right? Sin cannot exist in God's presence. I I read a quote uh, from Joseph Schumann who said this, God rules the world in such a way that brings himself maximum glory. This means that God must act justly and judge sin, respond with wrath. Otherwise, God would not be God. God's love for his glory motivates his wrath against sin. So sometimes I think it's, it's important that we, that we understand the magnitude of our sin, the depth of our depravity, so we can really understand the beauty of the gospel and the justification that comes through Jesus Christ. And so let's dig in. Romans chapter 2, verse 12 through 16. I'm going to read the entirety of the text, and then we're going to, we're going to unpack a little bit, all right? <clears throat> Here we go. Verse 12. For all who sin without the law will also perish without the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, But the doers of the law will be justified. So when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the works of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience confirms this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ." So let's look at verse twelve. For all who sin without the law will also perish without the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So that first word "for" uh, that means it's, it's a connecting verse. So he's he's connecting verse eleven and verse twelve. Uh, the word "sin" there simply means to fall short, and 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 the Greek word for this actually means Paul's Paul's painting the picture of hey, on the last day, as we stand before God, as you look back, all have sin. That's why he said all who, all who sin. So it's this picture backwards of us all sinning and falling short. He goes on to say the Gentiles who don't have the law will perish. And so what does that mean? It means that they're going to have eternal separation, eternal condemnation from God because of their sin, because they violated their own law. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Now, the law, which is already mentioned three times in this one verse, it's mentioned actually seven times in these couple of verses that we just read, uh, was the Mosaic law. And, and here's, here's kind of a list, uh, a little list of what the Mosaic law accomplished. It revealed the holy character of the eternal God to the nation of Israel. It set apart the nation of Israel as distinct from all other nations. It reveals the sinfulness of man provides forgiveness through sacrifice and offerings, provide a way of worship for the community of faith through the yearly feasts, provides God's direction for the physical and spiritual health of the nation. And the last one is really where I wanna focus in on today is that it reveals to humanity that no one can keep the law, but everyone falls short of God's standard of holiness. And so the Gentiles, they didn't have this law but they did have their own standards and so you can hopefully see now why the Jews felt like they were at an advantage right but Paul is saying this that no matter your standard right whatever your moral compass that all have sinned all have fallen short all will be judged before a perfect and holy god no one is exempt so i mentioned earlier that the law reveals our inability to to meet god's standards that's what sin means, that we have fallen short. Now, the problem was the law had over 600 commands, right? We, we know uh, the Ten Commandments as part of those. But uh, Paul's theme thus far, again, is he's pressing on his readers that Jewish or not, that all have sinned. We still live a life of wickedness, even though we have the law, we have God's Commands. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. James 2. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of it all. So Paul is saying, hey, this law... This law that you have if you break one of the commands, you've broken all of them and you stand guilty and condemned. And I think that's why Paul goes to great length to impress on his readers that that we're all sinners. We all deserve God's judgment. But we need to be reminded sometimes of the bad news. We need to be reminded of how bad the bad news is so we can appreciate uh, the work of the cross, the good news of the gospel. I love Psalm 14 says, There is no one who does good. Isn't that encouraging this morning? There's no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there is one who is wise, one who seeks God. All have turned away, all alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. You're welcome. I'm like, God, I do good things, but I surely don't do them consistently. All right, let's keep going. Verse 13. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Does this sound familiar? If you remember when we went through the book of James, James chapter 1, James says, don't just listen to the word, but do what it says. He also says, if anyone knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, does what? He sins. In other words, just hearing the law, hearing, just hearing the gospel isn't enough. It's not going to bring you into right standing. That's what the word righteousness means. It means right standing before God. You need to walk in the light as He is in the light. Your heart needs to be transformed. And as a result, you live out your faith. You do good work as an outflow of the grace that God has given you. By reconciling you to himself. So during this period for the Jews, they would have the law uh, read to them weekly. The Torah, it was read to them in the synagogue. It, It was a ritual. Here's the implication for us is that rituals can be void of righteousness. We said again, rituals can be void of righteousness. Paul, like James, says it's not enough just to hear the law. But watch this. It's the doers of the law that will be justified. That means acquitted, right? So Paul says, hey, unless your life is transformed, if you're actually living out all these laws to perfection, you've fallen short. You've fallen short. It's like this. I can read every speed limit sign going down Tuscaloosa. But if I go fast through one section, what? I've I've broken the law and it's not going to matter When I stand before that Rhode Island judge guy, anybody know that guy? Rhode Island judge? You should look it up on YouTube. He gives everyone grace. It's amazing. But he says, hey, you're doing 55 through a 35, and and I'm not going to have any excuse, right? I'm condemned. I'm guilty. The only way for me to be made right with the laws is to what? Obey them all, right? And I don't do that. I don't know about you, but I don't do that all the time. None of us, None of them in these, uh, during this time, could keep all the commands. Nobody can. There's no way for us not to fall short. right? Half of you probably cursed on the way in because of the humidity. <laughs> right? Like, it happens. But there's another inference here that I, that I want to talk about, and it's this. that If you're not careful when you read this, you might think that Paul is talking about works-based salvation. And that's, that's not the case. That is 100% against the gospel and what Paul is trying to lay out for us. Works are not what saves you. There is nothing in and of yourselves that saves you. Right? But why is Paul bringing up doers here? Seems like he's, he's, uh, he's supporting works as a means of, of salvation. Now works are a part of faith. They're, they're the fruit, not the root. Right? It, it's it's, it's kind of like this. When you, think of a, uh, when you think of an apple tree, Right? The apple, the fruit, are are the works of that tree. It's the work of the life and the nutrients that's flowing through that tree. Same with salvation. Jesus Christ gives us life. He gives us the faith. And as a product of that saving faith, our works. But Ephesians 2 says this, We are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves, so that no one can boast. But Paul isn't talking about salvation here and I just want to make that, I want to make that clear. He's not talking about salvation, he's talking about judgment. He's saying hey, if your standard is the law and unless you adhere to that law perfectly, you stand condemned before God. And so here's, here's a question I have for you. What law are you trying to keep to justify yourself before God? What ritual what thing are you doing to try to prove yourself or justify yourself before God? And listen, coming to church, giving, serving, those are all critical components in an outflow of a relationship with Jesus, a life marked by Jesus. But they're not saving things. Maybe you grew up in church and you can't remember a day you weren't in church and you're like, I am, I am good. I am riding the coattails of my parents' salvation. Maybe you come every week. You've got perfect attendance. But, but during the week, there's no evidence of you living out your faith with your neighbor, loving your neighbor. Maybe you even know scripture. Maybe you can even explain the gospel, but that gospel has not permeated your heart and transformed your life. And listen, I, I'm not exempt from this either. You would think, man, he's a pastor. He's got all of his stuff together. Him and the Lord are just like this, right? That's not the case. That's not the case. I, uh, any Enneagram buffs in here? Yeah, a couple of you? Well, I'm an Enneagram 3, so I'm an achiever. Uh, and so I, I struggle with performance. I struggle with, with people pleasing. Um, e- even when I get a chance to teach and preach on the weekend, I go home and, and I wrestle sometimes with, man, how, how was my delivery? What do people think? All these things just surround my head. And it's, it's just sick. Instead of focusing on the transformation that God has done in my heart through preparing for the message or the stories that I hear afterwards, I get wrapped up in all this stuff. So before any of us puff up and we're like, hey, Jews, like you've got this special revelation from God. You, I mean, he's taking care of you. He has been so faithful. Let's remember that we all do the same things. We need Jesus. Uh, kids bring this out in us big time. Amen. Uh, any parents in the room losing their minds with their kids lately? Okay. The rest of you that didn't are liars and uh, you're sinning right now. So you're welcome. Oh, man, I love children. Uh, So verse 14, let's, let's keep going. So when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. So Paul says, hey, these Gentiles, the ones that don't have this law by nature, they do what the law demands. And by doing so, that they, they have a law now unto themselves. They have, they have their own standard. They may not have the law on the outside, but inwardly they, they have some knowledge of, of its standards. And now, not all Gentiles are murderers or adulterers or swindlers. Many of them practice honesty. They're loyal to their wives. Many of them honor their parents. They're kind. They seek the good in other people. They're, in a sense, moral people. But they're still adhering to some sort of standard. And that's the standard. It's the basis for their law. And Paul further expounds on this and he says, by doing this, it proves that God has, God has placed that within them. Listen to what he says in verse 15. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. So God has created them as, as self-conscious, moral People and by their behavior, they show uh, that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. So while they don't have the law in their hands, they have its precepts on their heart. I think if you look at any culture, whether it's a, a Christian culture or not, something like murder is wrong, right? We we have this this inner sense of of right and wrong, and maybe the standards or the codes of conduct may vary. But murder is universally condemned. Why? Because God has placed uh, this sense of right and wrong in our hearts. Jew or Gentile, Christian or non-Christian. And this is critical. It's critical to understand with regard to the judgment that Paul has been referring to. Again, the, the, the Jews have the revealed law of God. And so they're going to be judged by that standard. This is really the how behind verse Verse 11. When Paul says that God doesn't show favoritism, that his judgment is impartial because he's saying, hey, again, no matter what your standard is, we all fall short. We all stand condemned before God. Verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience confirms this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them. Here's how this plays out. We say things like, I know that I treated him wrongly, but, but he had it coming. Right? I know that I shouldn't cheat on my taxes, but everyone does it. Right? Like the government wastes a ton of money. I'm not a millionaire. I'm going to do it too. Right? So our, our conscience and our thoughts are constantly going back and forth, either condemning us or trying to even defend our actions. And this is what Paul is describing. Ultimately, though, this demonstrates that all people fall short of God's holiness. I know I've said it a lot, but this is, this is the case that Paul is trying to build. He's trying to build up to the reason and our need for Jesus and for the gospel. It's like good news and bad news. The worst news of all is that we fall short of God's standard. And what is God's standard for justification, for right standing? It's perfection. It's perfection. It's perfection. I I just I hope that you can grasp now whether whether it's you or me that we all fall short. That none of us in and of ourselves can measure up to the standard that God has set for holiness. And so Paul has gone through the great lengths up until this point to help us understand that we can't escape God's just and right judgment. That his judgment will be righteous according to our works and that it will be impartial. He unpacks a few more truths as he moves into verse 16. And it says this, On the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. God will judge the secrets of everyone. It's a scary thought, isn't it? God doesn't just look at our outward deeds, but he knows what's on the inside. He knows our heart. And that can be scary because we can impress people. We can mask sin really, really well. We can mask it behind our material things. We can even mask it behind religion. But God knows every secret thought we have. He knows every private sin that we do. He knows the hidden prideful motives even when we, when we outwardly serve him. He knows the lustful glance that no one else sees. He knows every click of the mouse on your computer even late at night when no one's around. He sees the anger in your heart even when you try to mask it. Listen to me. Nothing will escape him on judgment day. Paul says, according to my gospel. I just love that. Remember when Paul said that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What what confidence, what courage. The gospel transformed Paul's life. And it's personal to him. It's personal to him. It's all he wants to preach. When I think about my story and God delivering me from, from prejudice and womanizing and partying, and and the whole thing, the gospel just becomes sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. So the message of the gospel isn't just what we are saved from, but it's what we're saved to. That we have been reconciled to God through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That we've been justified by the perfection of Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that God will see us as holy, as blameless in his sight because of the finished work of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled what we couldn't. And that's great news, amen? He lived a life that we could not live. And so I'd like to ask you just just two questions today to consider. The first is, are you trying to prove yourself to God with doing things but your motives aren't pure. Maybe you've got a religion of outward action. You've got rituals, just coming to church, doing doing churchy things, but inwardly you've not been transformed by the gospel. Your heart motives are not geared towards Jesus. What's crazy is that we can be doing all the churchy things and totally miss Jesus. Jesus. We can do we in all the churchy things and totally miss Jesus. The second is, have you come to the realization that Jesus and him alone is your only way to stand acquitted, justified before God? Listen, works are an outflow of your faith, but they're not saving things. Only a relationship with Jesus can do that. And so if that's you today, I would just like to invite you. We're not gonna do anything weird, but man, if you're, If you're thinking of those questions and you've said, man, Mark, I have not made Jesus Lord of my life or he's not number one. My motives aren't pure. We have that guide on your seat. There's a box there that says, I want to know more about Jesus. And just fill that out. Put it in the offering basket on the way out. And I would love to follow up with you and connect with you um, with that and help you take that next step. But listen, if you didn't hear anything else today, hear this is that the gospel shines brighter against the backdrop of our sin and brokenness. The gospel shines brighter against the backdrop of our sin and our brokenness. And that's a beautiful thing, church. I thought it fitting this morning that we move into a a time of confession and We do this each week, uh, corporately and personally, and it just seemed right coming out of this message to take time now to just go before God. And as Paul said in verse 16, that God will judge the secrets of man. And so what I would love to do is just just read a prayer of confession. And I would just love you to bow your heads and close your eyes. and, And as I read this, just meditate on each word And then we're done. We'll we'll take some time individually to go before God. True and righteous Father, you have declared us righteous by the blood of your Son, Jesus. And so we come before you freed forever from condemnation. In you, our lives are made abundant forgive us for showing our wrath instead of your mercy we confess our desire to condemn rather than forgive help us extend the riches of your kindness to those around us write your righteousness on our hearts may the deepest chambers of our souls echo the life-giving love of our God center our minds on your perfect truth God, we love you. Would you forgive us now in this moment? Church, I'd love for you just to spend some time with the Lord this morning, just individually. And maybe you just need to confess some some sin in your life as we, we move into a time of communion with him where we partake of the Lord's Supper. Just love for you to examine yourself and Maybe it's motives. Maybe it's just hidden sin. Just just give it to God. He's there. He forgives you. He loves you. He is ready to pour out his grace on you this morning. Take a few moments and then we'll partake in communion together.